Hiring? With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to over 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut to try it for free today. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut. Back here on the First Cut Podcast, we have a United States Open champion, and we have the man who is there holding our hand through it all. You are our guide through Aaron Hills for the weekend. I hope that everyone followed you uh, at Kyle Porter CBS. I hope that everyone was tuned in to the live blog and all of our coverage because, Kyle, man, you know, the we, we've got a lot to break down here, but... All in all, like you got to walk away. You've got to. You're in the car right now, uh, leaving Aaron Hills, but you've you've got to feel pretty satisfied with the way everything went, right? Yeah, it was a great open. You know, it, it was. People get really caught up in the leaderboard on on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and it's like, man, these tournaments produce great winners. You know, not always, but usually. And and we got a great one in Brooks Kepka, and we got, uh, you know, kind of an ending to the tournament that was that was pretty satisfying. You know, it, 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 I think, I think what happened in the middle of the week, just the course and the leaderboard and, and who missed the cut kind of left people wanting a little bit. But uh, in the end, I think that this will be remembered as uh, the week that Brooks Kepka played some of the best golf, probably the best golf of his life and walked away with a, uh, with a big trophy as a result. So the, the ones who missed the cut, of course, the top three players in the world, Dustin Johnson, Roy McIlroy, Jason Day, all failing to make the weekend. And now that's where I want to start the conversation on Brooks Kepka, absolutely lifting uh, a conversation that <laughs> you've turned in on your 18 thoughts, which has not been posted at the time of recording. But um, does Brooks Kepka have staying power here? Because this is uh, an American golfer who – uh, I think has been targeted because of his length, because of his uh, his strength for someone who is able to potentially rise. You know, we're, we're about to hit the point with the uh, Brooks Kepka is buddies and works out with Dustin Johnson ad nauseum. <laughs> like, like we we've got a lot of talking points about our U, our new U.S. Open champion. But like if we were to take a step back and really look at Kepka and where he is in this in his career, like is he going to be able to reach the level of, you know, the, the Dustin Johnson, the Roy McIlroy? You know, we, we've been able to say that about like a John Rahm earlier this season where it's like, yes, he is going to be here for a while. Like, is there anything about Kepka's performance here that changes your projection of him moving forward? Not really. I, I mean, I, I thought that he was going to, I thought that he was a star. I thought that he was going to be a star. I'd have to go back and look. I did, I think I did the top nine or top 10 golfers in the world without a major after Sergio won the Masters. And I did it based on most talented, not necessarily best resume. And I, I'm pretty sure he was pretty high up on that list, if, if not second or third. Uh, he's a stud. You know, he goes over to Europe uh, to start his career, comes back over here, wins the Phoenix Open. Yeah, I was looking back at his wins, Chip, and he won in Turkey in 2014 uh, by by one over Ian Poulter. He shot like a 65 in the final round with an eagle on the 13th hole. He won by one over Bubba Watson and Hideki Matsuyama at the at the Phoenix Open by shooting a 66. I mean, he just he just closes out these tournaments. And what he did at the Ryder Cup last year, he got a little bit lost because of the Rory Patrick Reed stuff and and. Uh, you know, everything else that was got Tiger being there, everything else still and Sergio that was going on. But 
Brooks Koepka went three and one on a team that was loaded with great players. He is, um, he's a star. And I, I think we saw it this week. His, his best stuff is as good as anybody in the world. And he's a pretty young guy. He's 27 years old. Um, it, it's kind of surprising to me that he's not won more regular PGA tour events, but if you look back, I think it's his last eight majors. He's finished uh, 21st or better uh, in eight consecutive majors. And, and we had a conversation last night, some, some guys that I'm on a, a group text with, you know, over the next 20 majors, who wins more between DJ, Rory, Spieth, and, and Kepka? And I think that, you know, we're prisoners of the moment, but I think that's a real conversation to be having. And, and I think the point there is that you, you can legitimately compare him with uh, the rest of those guys that are that are up there that are that are winning multiple majors. Well, someone else who uh, got up into the mix with that conversation uh, in terms of at least world ranking with uh, you know the DJs, uh, Roy McIlroy is going to be uh, Hideki Matsuyama goes low sixty six yeah. on Sunday played like. Let's see, what was it? The last three rounds were his just lights-out rounds, right? Like he posted, I think, 73 the first round and then just yep. locked in and fired the rest of the way. Um, is like is Hideki a player that you've got to add to that conversation where when we're looking at the next 20 majors, if we're looking at the next five years, that he is at a point in his career? Or is he even like a longer-term bet? You know, I, Hideki is, is kind of weird for me because, I mean, obviously he played great over the last three days. He had the round of the day on Friday with a 66 and on Sunday with a 66, which was uh, pretty pretty impressive. But, you know, he, it never truly felt like he was going to win the tournament. And so that's my thing with him is, like, he's got all these top 10s and, you know, top 20s at majors. I think he's finished uh, 11th or better in, like, four of his last six majors, which is crazy. But he's never, he's never the 54 hole leader. He never is like leading with three holes left, you know? And so it's, it's sort of like a, a better version of what Matt Kutcher does with his backdoor top 10. I think you like backdoor top threes, you know, it's, yeah. it's weird. And so I don't like, I was talking to my buddy, Sean Martin, we stayed at a house together. I was talking to him pretty late on, on Sunday night. And we were just talking about how, like, does Hideki feel like the number two player in the world? You know, I know, obviously he's great. Like, I love Hideki. I love watching him. I love everything about him. But it just, he just doesn't, he doesn't feel like he should be the number two player in the world. Um, and, and I think that, you know, his, his 12 under, his uh, 276 at uh, Aaron Hills was great, but it wasn't, it, you know, it never truly felt like he was, he was good. maybe it did for a minute, but it never truly felt like he was gonna win it. So I'd like to see kind of some more front running status from Hideki. Like let's 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 see him get to like sixteen under after three rounds of a PGA and then go, you know, shut the door on a Sunday. Well speaking of uh front running and uh, and certainly a player who going into Sunday it still felt like this was his to lose the you know the odds liked him all the percentages liked him uh, and yeah. then Ricky went out there and shot a seventy two it was it was a score that we thought we might see that might be good enough to win given the the wins but then the wind died down and the yeah. put, and man his putter saved him a lot on uh on yep. in the first three rounds and then it just those birdie putts that were rolling in it just seemed like he was like three like a cup and a half off on sunday um you know what how do you grade how do you rate uh fowler's week here at aaron hills uh and what can you take from it moving forward 
Well, I, I thought it was disappointing. You know, I, I really did. And, and, and I maintained throughout after he shot that, you know, we, we, so often we get, uh, we, we, we kind of see the future on Thursday and Friday. I remember this with Bubba Watson at the, uh, at the 14 masters, you, you could see that he was winning that tournament on, I think it was Friday. He shot like a 65 or 66 or something like that. You, you could tell, like you could, you could foresee the future. Like he was winning that masters. And that's what it felt like with Ricky when he shot 65 on, on Thursday at Aaron Hills. But I don't know, Chip, I was, I was kind of disappointed by his weekend. Like he just, I don't know if he didn't have it with his, with his driver or what the deal was, but he just sort of acted like, well, you know, just don't, don't have it. I I don't know. I don't know. Like, I I don't want to be, I don't want to be like, I don't want to have a hot take here, but I just, I, I wanted to see more fire out of him down the stretch. And we've seen that in the past. I mean, that, and that's part of it is like, I watched the 2015 players championship. He was just lights out. He was unbelievable. And he was fired up. And I just, I, I wanted some of that on the weekend and, and we didn't get it. Were you, were you disappointed by him? Oh, unbelievable. I've, even though uh, the T2 finish is higher on the leaderboard from 14, uh, Keimer was running away with that. And so this one feels like more of a close miss for him. Like his, yeah. even, even though it's, it's not T2, this feels like the closest that Ricky Fowler came to winning the U S open. And as we continue to build up this, uh, library full of books of tales of near misses at a major, you know, this is going to be one that I come back to. Uh, I, I didn't, I looked at this as an individual, uh, event until I saw your point that, and I just hadn't gone back to check the stats that he just he was uh, he was having a lot hitting miss hitting uh, a lot of shots at the Masters too, same sort yeah. of pattern, right? I mean, this is that kind of are we just are we just in a point with Fowler where you know like unbelievable talent, it's all there, like no one is is worried about anything, but he is gonna like quickly start putting his name on the best to never like he's just going to keep jumping up the best to never win a major uh conversation and that's just a conversation where like you know as a golfer you certainly don't want to be there you want to win that friggin major and as like a fan that's always a a a weird spot when you're rooting for somebody i i i am uh interested to see what happens at royal burkdale because like you said fowler's game or like you have said so many times fowler's game is made for the opens I think that will be an interesting opportunity. He's not going to be my pick to win. That's for damn sure. But I'm going to be interested to see if he can correct uh, some of those, like, like just, just not great stats when it comes to, you know, greens and regulation and fairways. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing, the thing about this is you only get so many, you only get so many shots that are like legit shots that went in a major. Right. And, and he's had, you know, two straight majors where he's been in one of the final three groups on a Sunday. Uh, you know, obviously at the Masters, he was in the second-to-last group with Jordan Speed, uh, And then in this one, he's in the third-to-last group with, with Siwoo Kim and just doesn't – he just didn't have it. He didn't have, he didn't have the stuff. And, you know, m- my buddy Kevin Van Valkenburg at PSDN wrote a really interesting piece on Fowler about how, like, pretty much that very thing like you only get so many shots and that's not a hot take like that's a that's a reality of golf and and i think everybody who plays it would would agree and so he he had a really interesting comparison and and i kind of liked it is um 
is Fowler as maybe the American Sergio. Mm. And I, I, it, that's not like a that's not disparaging. Sergio's had an unbelievable career. Like he's been awesome and underrated. But you know, you, you gotta you gotta shut it down at some point. Like you gotta you gotta close out. I mean, and I think Fowler will. Like, look, he's he's still twenty eight, and I'm not. You know, he could win two of the next five, but I don't think he's got the. I don't think he's got the DJ Rory type talent where he's given himself like. 10 or 12 shots at majors over the course of his career. I think he's only got, you know, five, six, seven, however many it is. I think it's fewer than some of those generationally talented guys. And so if you don't take advantage of the five, six, seven real chances that you have, you know, maybe you don't win one, but I, I think, I think he'll be fine. I just, I don't know. I was a little bummed. Like I just wanted to see a little bit more out of him on, on Saturday and Sunday, just even from like an emotional standpoint, just, get involved, get in the mix, get fired up, you know, and I know that's not necessarily his personality, but it was just, it felt like it was his tournament to lose and, and he went out and lost. The hot take uh, from what I can sense is, is going to be that the golf media might turn on him, right? Yeah, I think, I think possibly, I think the smart people in golf media know that he is, about a lot more than the clothes and the flashiness and the Red Bull and whatever. And that he's, he's, he's a, he's a thoughtful, um, talented player. So I don't, I don't think the, the really smart phone golf will turn on him, but I do think that I think it could happen with some of the, you know, I, I think it could happen to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I, here's, here's what I see. I see a player who has recognized his ability uh, as as someone who is young and as someone who is plugged in, uh, as somebody who is marketable. I think that he has yeah. recognized the ability to control the message a little bit. Um, I th- I thought I I made absolutely nothing of him skipping out on the press availability on Thursday, but the fact that people felt inclined to write about it and make it a thing, uh, I definitely took note of. And like for every rocket mortgage commercial of him shirtless chipping balls into a pool, you know, in a floaty <laughs> thing, like then all of a sudden he's, you know, not, he, he is able to present himself uh, without necessarily giving the golf media what they want. And that's, that's where I, I wonder if um, you're able to take, not you're able to, but if we start to see, um, things turn for him in, Hey, very much your Sergio call might not be that bad because like, I, I don't think Ricky Fowler is a villain. I don't think there's anything villainous about Ricky Fowler's character. He's from your, uh, from, you know, you've played golf with him, but like you've written that he is one of the nicest guys on tour. And I tend to believe that based on everything that I've sensed, but man, like one more, one more sort of uh, near miss. Like I, I'm worried that we'll start to get the is Ricky Fowler disinterested column. You know. <laughs> well, I hope not, but I, I think I think that could happen from some people. I, I think um, you know it, it's interesting because Fowler's the rare guy who is I think sort of simultaneously overrated and underrated. And and what I mean by that is like you talked about the marketability and whatever, and good for him. Like 
No, good, yeah, he gets uh, it. Makes a ton of money. Like, who, no, nobody would turn. Like, there's not a reason to dislike him, but it does sort of plant this um, seed in your mind of like, wow, this guy must be like a top three guy in the world. And then if you don't go at him and play like that, then it sort of turns into this overrated thing. But he's also underrated in the fact that he's so consistent and he's finished in the top five and top ten. You know, I, I saw a stat from Dolph Channel. He's got – I think six top fives at majors since 2010 without a win. That's tied for the most with Lee Westwood. Now, you can talk, you can say whatever you want about wins or whatever. That's a really consistently great golfer who just hasn't, you know, just hasn't fallen his way. So, um, I, I, I think that, uh, I don't know. Like, he, it, it's weird that he's both overrated and underrated at the same time, but I, I still think, like, there's a lot of runway left for him. Like he's only 28. Uh, he's got, you know, 40 more majors in his, in his prime or whatever. And, and I think at least one, if not more, fall his way at some point. Over under 1.5 major wins for Ricky Fowler. I'd probably go under. I'd probably put him as a one major guy. Mm. And, I mean, we've talked about this. There's only so many majors, yeah. you know, there's only, there's only so many of them. And, there's going to be a lot of guys that win. There's going to be a lot of really good players that win one or two, like really, really, really good players, just because there's there's four years, and um, those guys that win three or four or five are going to be going to go down. I think should go down in history as as some of the best golfers that have ever lived. Mm. Especially at this where we are right now, given the talent spread out across the board. Yeah, it's a joke. I mean, think about. Think about the string. So we've gotten we've had seven first time winners in a row: uh, Jason Day, Danny Willett, DJ, um, Stinson, Jimmy Walker, Sergio, and now Kepka. And think about just think about how long that streak could be extended. What if what if you go what if you go Hideki uh, wins the Open, Fowler wins the PGA, JT wins the Masters? I mean, you, you could get a run of like. 15 first-time winners in a row that nobody would be surprised about. Tommy Fleetwood wins the U.S. Open next yeah! year. You know, like, like I, I just it's, – it's incredible how many great guys there are. Um, and, and I've made the argument time and time again that golf is, has never been better, just, just because of the money. I mean, Brooks Koepke got $2 million winning the U.S. Open this year. Like, follow the money over the last 15 or 20 years. And – um, you know, you're, you're, I think we're in sort of a, I don't know if it'll go, I don't know if it's peak, but I think we're in sort of a golden age of, of elite talented golfers. Well, if you want to create a golden age for your business, you know that you need to be able to have the right roster, a winning roster, and you can't find the best candidates by posting your job to just one site. Nope. You need to post them to all the top job sites, and you can now with ZipRecruiter. At ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your position. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike all those other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. In fact, it finds them. Over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. That means no more juggling emails. Just simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes nationwide because first-cut listeners 
can start forming their own winning team on ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut. Try it for free today. ZipRecruiter.com slash first cut. I really like your golden age of golf um, because it's been something that uh, as, as we begin to count up these majors, as we begin to do our over-unders and look forward, like being a two-time major winner, I think you, you might have used Bubba Watson as the example. Like being a two-time major winner might be Hall of Fame status right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it is. And, and, I mean, again, like Justin Rose, Adam Scott, Jason Day, Dustin Johnson, these guys have one major championship, and they're four of the – 13 best guys in the world or whatever. And so, you know, maybe, maybe they all win another one or another couple or whatever, but maybe they don't, you know, like it's, it's so hard. And that, that was one of my takeaways from Aaron Hill's ship was just watching these guys play this course. They are, there are so many guys that are so freaking good at golf. It is unbelievable. And I know that's like, of course they are, but, just watching the kind of shots they were hit on that long of a course, um, it, it was incredible. And we haven't even talked about JT's 63 yet, but like it, it, it was, it was astounding how good you have to play to win a major, to win any tournament, much less to win a major championship. Well, let's. All right, I, I definitely want to make sure we get JT. I also want to get uh, sort of final grades on on Aaron Hills as the course. So let's start at, at Justin Thomas. Uh, I mean. A player that I have admitted I'm I'm just a fan for right now. He just seems like so much <laughs> doggone fun. You know, seems seems like yeah. somebody that I I would enjoy playing golf with. Um, was just pants off excited on Saturday to to watch everything go down. I mean the his his work, um, making work of that course and doing it with that three wood. All of it was incredible. Um, where like. What's the takeaway here from Justin Thomas? Because here's here's one thing that I'm nervous about. Like, is the 63 just like the 59, where it it just sort of stands out as like a man? Yeah, JT's really good. Or is the 63 at Aaron Hills on Saturday a preview of him being able to make noise in major championships moving forward? Well, you know, I, I think going going into Sunday, I, I don't know who I told this, but I, it just it didn't feel like he was going to win. It felt like it was it's so hard to back up a 63 with the emotion that's involved and just coming back the next, I mean, you only have so many great shots in you in a week and it's just, it, it never to me felt like he was going to win the golf tournament. Um, but I think it is a, I think it's a preview. I, or I think it's sort of like a, a microcosm of his career in that, like his best stuff is, is as good as we have on the PGA Tour like his very 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 best I think it's like him and Rory and DJ maybe now his consistency is not the same as those guys his consistency is not even really the same as um like a Jordan Spieth or or somebody somebody like that um so that's the thing he's just got to work on and you know that comes with time like he's so young and he's he's not been in that position a ton of times and so I think for him, just finding that four-round rhythm over the course of a tournament is going to be is going to be key, and and uh, I think he will. I think he's another guy who I would be stunned if at the end of his career he didn't have a major championship. But his talent is prodigious, and 
we saw that on Saturday. I mean, I, I was standing, I jumped over and, and joined him and, uh, and Jonathan Randolph on the 16th green and, and walked in with him. And that's, I'll never forget that three one on 18. I mean, it was a joke, like how it just, he, he starts a cut off the left side. You can't miss it left. He starts a cut off the left side, just dead. And it rolls to eight feet. It was, it was just, it was preposterous. <laughs> I couldn't believe he hit the shot. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, and he, he kind of turned away from it. Like he was, he was mad about it. I think he was, I think he was actually just looking down uh, for his footing or whatever, but um, just one of the, one of the great shots I've ever seen. And, and how about, uh, how about on 15 where he said, be as good as you look. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he hits it to six feet. I, I just, I love that whole round. It was, it, it, it gave the tournament sort of a, a soul when it, when it lacked it a little bit on Saturday. Where, uh, why do you think that the tournament lacked a little bit of a soul? And then also sort of like, what was your, I mean, I, I remember Thursday morning, it didn't look like uh, it was very crowded, but the crowd seemed great as the, the weekend and the tournament wore on. Um, you know, the, the, I w- I'm, the wide fairways made for some awesome stuff, but I wonder if, Kyle, like, I think that maybe the cameras weren't able to do Aaron Hills justice for the way that it was constructed. Yeah, I mean, the tournament lacked a soul because the top three guys in the world missed the cut. I think, and and it just didn't have it didn't have the the pop that you wanted over um, over Thursday and Friday. But as far as the course goes, like I was kind of out on it at the beginning. It was just it felt like just um it felt like a a PGA championship a little bit in terms of the way it was set up. I was just like, Oh, this is just a huge course that like somebody's going to have to overpower. But there, there was a nuance to the way that, that you had to drive the golf ball. And we saw Brooks kept get hit. Uh, I think he had 49 of 56 fairways, which is a joke. I think he was number one in the field in fairways hit, but more than that, like, you can hit fairways, but you have to hit fairways in the right spots. And Andy Johnson of the, of the fried egg, which is a, a great, uh, blog wrote about this like you, you want to be like wide fairways create strategy because you can hit it you know you have to create an angle for yourself into these greens and so I think that's where you're saying like maybe the cameras didn't do it justice is like you can hit the fairway and still like have no chance at making a birdie or even a par sometimes and and I think that's interesting because you know what's not interesting is seeing guys hit out of the fescue and because the fairways were wide, it allowed guys to hit the fairways, but it also created a scenario in which if you're hitting the fairway in the right spot, you can make birdie. And if you're hitting it in the wrong spot, you're, you're going to make, you're going to fight for par and you and you might make bogey. So I thought that was super, a super interesting nuance to this course. There was uh one, I really liked uh, the risk reward holes. I kind of became obsessed with them by the end of the weekend. I love the idea yeah. of just being able to, uh, sort of take all these wild angles and it it almost made the you know longest place as the longest track in US Open history it almost it almost felt a little disingenuous because uh not yeah. everybody hits you know like not everybody hits it the way it's measured but I really liked that wrinkle I thought that the coverage was able to give that but I read the uh, I read Andy's blog post as well you shared it on Twitter at Kyle Porter CBS and uh, I felt like that was a very cool and I've been at golf courses where angles do matter a lot and I, I appreciate that but man I, I think that was one thing the fans might have missed out on 
Yeah, I agree. And and me and Martin were talking last night about how like wide fairways make for great tournaments. I mean, think about um, think about Augusta every year, like how how wide the fairways are and how just how much fun it is on Saturday and Sunday for the guys that are that are hitting them. And it also created a a really like crazy, fun, different leaderboard because you couldn't. And, and this was my point with Kepka winning is like. Yes, Kepka is one of the longest guys in the world, but he didn't win because he was super long. He won because he hit 49 fairways and he hit 62 greens in regulation. So you could be as long as you want, DJ Rory, Jason Day, and be watching, you know, from from the jet or from home on on Saturday and Sunday. Um, Kepka is long, but he won because he was precise. And so I think that is. Uh, you know, we see these U.S. Opens where the fairways are like eight yards wide, and you're like, "What are we doing? Like, this is absurd." But you, you, you got a tournament where, even though it was wide fairways and whatever, you couldn't just overpower the course. You had to be accurate and precise as well. And I don't know; it just it made for a. It didn't make for the greatest um, miscut list. Like we saw a lot of big guys miss the cut, but I thought it made for a a really cool. Uh, weekend and, and tournament overall, even though I know a ton of people were really upset about the scores to par over the weekend. So lame. So lame. <laughs> uh, all right, can, well, we talk, can we talk about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, don't let me forget about Brian sure. Harmon because that's because like Brian Harmon versus Brooks Kepka was like the perfect example of what yeah, you were just talking yeah. about where it's like, man, oh boy. Uh, did you get a chance to talk to Shane? Bacon about his interview with Brian Harmon on Saturday. Uh, no, what what was the what happened? He uh, Shane sits there. You know, Brian Harmon's coming off. He's he's like, you know, going to be in the final group. Shane Bacon's like, now you don't hit it real far. <laughs> and Brian Harmon looks him in the eyes. And goes, I hit it far enough. And his eyes <laughs> just could have cut knives into and like. Shane Bacon, uh, you know, used to work at CBS. Super nice guy from from my experience, at least. But boy, I was I was chuckling to myself at that one. Brian Brian Harmon. Har- does- Harmon's got a Harmon's got a little uh, little fu to him. Like Dude, he's he's, uh, he's a nice guy and a great player, but he's uh, you kind of don't want to mess with him. I, I feel like. Yeah, I I I was so surprised and tickled that Brian Harmon, who yes, absolutely was like his. His driving distance, it is nothing is like not in the same world as Brooks Kepka. But it, I hit it. Yeah. I hit it far enough. <laughs> yeah, well and but to your point, like Brooks Brooks Kepka's hitting like I mean he had a three with like three seventy on the final hole. Like what what do you you know, and and the 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 USGA and RNA are worried about anchored putters. Like, <laughs> like let's let's take a look at the uh, at the golf ball, maybe the, the you know whatever. But um, yeah, to your point, like Brian Harmon hit so many long irons and and fairway woods so precisely, it was incredible. I mean, it was just a it was just a display of ball strike, and he didn't miss a putt. I mean. If you would have told him what he was going to do that week before the week started and what he was going to score, he would have thought he'd be, you know, riding home with the trophy on Sunday. And he just got boat raced by Kepka somehow. But he, he was, I was really impressed, even by what he did on Sunday. His first like three shots on Sunday were uh, were not pretty. Like he, it was, uh, it's pretty clear he finally realized what was happening. But he held it together, and he didn't make a bogey until the 12th hole. I, I, I come away super impressed with uh, 
Brian Harmon and um, just, I don't know. He, he jumped up a few notches in my book in terms of just his future, his trajectory. I think him and Tommy Fleetwood for me are, are the big winners of the week in terms of just how much they jumped up in my book. All right. Scores level to par, scores relative to par. Johnny Miller's angry. Everyone's angry. Um, wh- where do you want to start with this? Like, is it the 72 that made people angry, or were they just mad to see a big num- a double-digit number beside the minus on the leaderboard without even recognizing um, that the par was different at 72 as opposed to a 70 or 71? Well, the first thing is that the, the protection for this course, just like a British Open, was was going to be was always going to be the wind, and we talked about that coming in. And guess what, Chip? It didn't blow. Yeah. It wasn't windy, and so as a result, you get a course that that was the USGA's protection for it. And, and to their credit, like they weren't going to make they weren't going to dry out the green. They weren't going to make it like crazy because then if it does blow, then then all of a sudden you're getting scores that are like. Like the leader score might have been like seventy nine. Like it would, we would have had a Tory Pines twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen situation on our hands, and they didn't. They didn't want that, so they banked on it being windy at least once or twice throughout the week. And for the leaders, at least, it really wasn't. It kind of gave a half hearted, uh, you know, a few gusts on Sunday, but it didn't. It didn't really do much to the leaders. So that that's that's part one, and then part two is like. The score to par doesn't matter. Like people get so caught up in the sixteen under. Look at look at what the score was for the week. Whether it's a par like it doesn't. It's whether it's a par seventy, par seventy one, par seventy two, par ninety. You know, you can make every hole a par five, and it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's it's what you know. Who took the fewest strokes at the end of the week? Now, was Aaron Hills a, a bigger track than Oakmont? Yeah, by like 400 yards. But it also played a little bit shorter because a lot of these holes are downhill. So I just – people get so worked up about the score under par and this is too easy, make America great again, whatever. <laughs> but but it's, it, it doesn't – like – and I tweeted this. Look at the 54-hole leads. Like you, you were right in line with um, past – you know, the past five U.S. Opens. Now – if you look at the, the end of the week, yes, the 272 that, that Brooks shot was the, tied for the third lowest ever at, in a modern U.S. Open, and um, I think it was probably it probably played easier than the USGA wanted it to. But again, it's because the wind, it's because it rained almost every night, and it's it's not because he was 1600, it's because he shot at 272. I, I think that was my sort of talking point all week and people just refuse to understand what what the you know what the situation is yeah and like it's because brooks kepka played lights out 67 being the lowest final round since tiger in 2000 it's because the dude hit the gas pedal and didn't stop yeah I mean, I, yeah. I, 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 all right. So what was it? We did have a record of number of rounds under par, right? But again, like what is par? Change, yeah. You change the th- third hole to, or I don't, I don't remember the pars, but you change two of the par fives to par fours. And all of a sudden you don't have that. Like the score to par does not matter, you know, and people just get so worked up over it. And it just, it just, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't, you know, and, and you know, because we, we've got a, the 17th hole is a 523 yard par four. Like what if you made the sixth hole or whatever the par five was on the front nine of a, a par four, it was, 
590 yards, make it a par four. And then, and then do you have a record number on your par? No, you just got, you know, it's, I don't know. It, it, it just, it drives me crazy. I don't, I can't go hand in the dirt because I have not played uh, competitive golf beyond uh, little tournaments here and there where I normally get my ass whooped. But like, um, it, it feels, it feels like it's, uh, comments that are being made from fans who maybe don't play a lot like i i don't want to get on a high horse here but like yeah you can judge yourself to par but isn't the object of golf to just get the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible regardless of any like any other numbers like like the point of golf in a golf tournament is get the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible and the player who does it over 72 holes in as few strokes as possible is the winner Exactly. And the USGA actually unintentionally highlighted this in 2015 at Chambers Bay because do you remember that they flipped the, the par on, I think it was number one and number 18. Yeah, it was 18. Like one, day, one day number one would play as a, as a par five and number 18 was, would play as a par four and then they would flip them the next day. And it's like, this is, this is a highlight of exactly what we're talking about. Like the score far does not matter. It's whoever has you know, 274, 276 strokes or whatever the leading number is at the end of the week. Um, now, you know, the argument could be made, like, if you're playing a 6,000-yard course, then then it's different. But as long as you're getting courses that are similar lengths, like, it just, it, you know, look at look at the total number. Don't look at the score under par. Now, I will say, the score under par makes it more fun like it's more fun to watch guys make 25 foot birdie putts than 25 foot par putts and and that was that was sort of the point too like who who didn't enjoy saturday saturday was awesome yeah like it, it rocked i mean jt shooting 63 i thought it was i thought it was great um and uh, you know people people get worked up about it or whatever but i i just thought it was uh, i thought it was a really fun us open that that uh, produced a really great champ well, congrats to Brooks Kepka. Congrats to Kyle Porter. He did another stellar job covering the U.S. Open from Aaron Hills. Uh, Kyle, thanks so much for taking some time in your travels, uh, your, mini, your mini travels as you continue to work your way uh, throughout the Midwest. And uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter at Kyle Porter CBS. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, man, killer job. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. We are heading to Chicago with the kids and uh, going to enjoy a few days off there. So uh, we will talk again soon. All right. Sounds good.